And I want to tell you that there is a nation of people today that is blessed above the rest. That nation of people is God's people, the church. We are blessed above the rest, and we have so many blessings to be thankful for. You know, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that every spiritual blessing resides in Christ, in the heavenly places. And so if you're a child of God, you're rich, and you have a very bright future, no matter what this world may hold for you, there is something better that awaits all of us. And the reason is because we are citizens in a better country, a better place. So we want to talk about that for a moment today. I want to begin our study by, first of all, emphasizing the focus of a Christian, the focus of a saint. And listen, if you would, to what Paul says in verse 19, the latter part, into chapter 20, there is a contrast that is drawn. It's a very sharp contrast. He mentions, first of all, some who mind earthly things. And really, when you talk about the fact that we are God's people, that we're Christians. What we have to understand is that we have a very real challenge before us. The challenge is, are we going to mind earthly things, or will we emphasize spiritual, eternal things in our life? Paul here speaks of those. Listen to him in verse 19. He said, they set their mind on earthly things. Now you remember Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3, as we noted last week in verse 2. He said, set your mind, set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. There is a real challenge that we face every day as children of God. The challenge is there is a constant appeal from the world, isn't there? I think about the allure of the world and who is it in control of the world in which we live? You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the devil, that Satan, is the god of this age. And so there is a constant chipping away at our Christian foundation. And what the devil is trying to do is to appeal to us through the world. And sadly, sometimes he draws us in. And you look at the various ways that he appeals to us. Now, I said a moment ago, the devil is identified as the God of this age. And you remember Jesus said that he is the father of lies. And so what he does is he makes things look one way, but in reality, it's altogether different. The devil is constantly chipping away at our faith. He's trying to undermine our faith, to destroy the foundation upon which we stand. How does he do that? Is it not the case that He is appealing to us on a daily basis through the means of power? Are there not people in our world today, it's all about power for them? They're off to one quest after another because they want to be in control of things. And then for some, it's about popularity and prominence. They want people to know who they are. They want to be a household name. Nothing wrong with being popular. Nothing wrong with being prominent in the world in which we live. There's really not anything wrong with being powerful. But sometimes these things can be seductive forces in our life. 
And so there's this appeal to power and to popularity. And then how many people have been literally sucked in to this idea that it's all about what you possess in life. You know, Jesus said on one occasion, take heed and beware of covetousness. Why is that? Because He said a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. How many people in our world today think that because of what they have, or where they live, or what they drive, or what they wear, that they're somebody... The devil is constantly appealing to us through the senses of the world. And he makes it look so good. It's so tantalizing in many ways. And then pleasure. Paul talks about some people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are just means that are used by the devil to ultimately destroy us. So Paul talks about those who are minding earthly things, their affections, their treasures are right here on planet earth, aren't they? Do you remember what Jesus said on one occasion? Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? All he's saying is, if you trade the world for your soul, you made a bad transaction in life. You ever made some bad deals in life? You ever done some things financially that after having looked back, you regret? Sure, many of us have. Some of us have lost our shirt a time or two. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you, if you allow the devil to appeal to you and get to you and bait you so that you go all in on the world and you forget about your soul, he said, let me tell you what, you made a terrible business transaction. Spiritual transaction. So, first I think about this great challenge. It's a real challenge. Because, you see, after we read about the appeal of the world, the one of the real inherent dangers is that we might develop an affection for the world. And John talks about that, doesn't he? Didn't John say, love not the world, neither the things which are, listen to him, which are of the world. I said a moment ago, the world is so tantalizing. The devil makes it look so good. And a lot of times we buy what he's selling. And so we develop a love, a yearning for more of what the world has to offer. And yet John said, the world is passing away and the lust of the world. But he said, those who do the will of the Father, they abide forever. So there is a real challenge. But now what about our citizenship? What about, what about this thing Paul's talking about with regard to where we really belong in life? Listen to him again. Note the contrast. In verse 19 he said, there are some who set their mind on earthly things. But then by way of contrast, he said, for our citizenship. But our citizenship is where? He said, it is in heaven. Now, I want to begin by saying right off the bat, those of us that live in this country, we are blessed, as I said a moment ago, we are blessed in so many ways. 
You look around in the world in which we live, and I'm telling you what, we have more than we could possibly hope for. I'm not sure that I really understood or really appreciated what we have in this country until I went outside this nation. And I saw firsthand poverty. And you look at the plight of some people in the world in which we live, and we are rich incredibly. Well, we are citizens in the U.S., aren't we? You know, in Acts chapter 22, Paul appealed to his Roman citizenship. He was proud of the fact he, was a, he had been born a Roman citizen. Paul understood that he was blessed to be a Roman citizen. We're blessed to be citizens in America. But let me tell you what, there is something far greater than our earthly citizenship. It is our eternal citizenship. Listen to him. He said, our citizenship is in heaven. Do you remember when the Hebrew writer wrote in chapter 11 about those great people of faith in days gone by? And he said, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. In 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, Peter talks about how we are sojourners and pilgrims on this earth. And so what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 11, he said, these people, he said, they were looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Is that you? Is that a picture of you in life? Are you looking for that city which has foundations? Whose builder and maker is God? I mean, let, listen, there's coming a day in which America and all other nations will fade away. But the citizenship that we have in heaven will stand forever. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about his death, his impending death. And Paul died at the hands of Nero Caesar. The time was about A.D. 68. That's been nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet Paul said in verse 18 of chapter 4 that the Lord would preserve him unto his heavenly kingdom. Let me tell you what, those of us who belong to the family of God, we have a greater citizenship. It's in heaven. It's not here on earth. I mean, yes, we're citizens in this country. We're blessed to be a citizen. But we've got a far greater citizenship. So first and foremost, the focus of a Christian. But then secondly, think with me if you would about the faith of a Christian. We live by faith, don't we? You know what the real challenge is in life? Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7, we walk by faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So here we are walking by faith. And Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. Now I think about the confidence of a Christian. How confident are you as a child of God? Are you confident? We ought to be confident. We ought to be confident in the Lord. Because let me tell you what, we serve a Lord who stands by His promises, who will stand upon His Word. You know, there was a day and time in America when you could do business on a handshake, couldn't you? There was a day and time when someone's Word meant something. That day has long since passed in America. There are still some people that 
that do business on a handshake. There's still some people that you can, that you can, that you can count on to stand by their word. But when the Lord promises us something, He stands by it, doesn't He? You know, the Bible says that those of us who are in Christ, that we live in hope of life eternal. Think for a minute about the hope of a Christian. We have ironclad hope in God and in His promises, don't we? The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Now when I think about the confidence that we have in the Lord, I understand I'm putting my faith and trust in someone whose word stands for something. It means something. And I don't care if the Lord doesn't come for another million years. His word will stand true, won't it? That's confidence. And so we as children of God, we have our hope where? In heaven. Isn't that the, wasn't that the case of the people of the past that the Hebrew writer talked about in chapter 11? Here they were, the writer said, they're looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're talking about people that lived nearly 4,000 years ago. And they have set out for a heavenly city. And so we too, we have hope grounded in the promises of God. Now, not only do we have our hope in heaven, but the Bible says we have a home in heaven, don't we? Do you believe that? I've never seen heaven, have you? Never been there. I've read about it. And you know, through the eye of faith, we can see it, can't we? We've never been to heaven. We've never visited that beautiful city. But I know this. Here's what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? He said, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peter said that we, that is those of us who belong to the family of God, he said we have an inheritance. It is said to be incorruptible, it's undefiled. He said it fades not away and it is reserved in heaven. That's a promise. Now you think about our confidence in the Lord. Now, the faith of a Christian. What about our faith? Our faith is grounded in confidence. Confidence in the Lord. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? And Paul said, if our earthly house, this tent, this tabernacle, this body of flesh is destroyed, he said, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul knew something about heaven. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, he said many years ago, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In verse 23, he would say to depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul had a desire to be face to face with the Lord, didn't he? He was confident. Now, 
Not only do we have confidence in the Lord, but the Bible speaks of our coming Lord. He's coming. Listen to what Paul says, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here is telling us that the Lord whom we serve, He is coming. Do you believe that? You know, the Bible talks about the sounds of His coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said that Jesus would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. There will be a day when you will hear the trumpet of God sound. You will hear the voice of the archangel. And it may be that you have been dead and in the tomb for many, many years, centuries, possibly thousands of years. But Jesus said in John chapter 5, the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. You believe that? The Lord Jesus is coming again, and when He comes, He has the keys to the cemeteries, and He's going to unlock the doors, and the dead will be raised. So we talk about the sounds of His coming, but then what about the sight of His coming? John would write in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 7, that Jesus will come in the clouds. And listen to him. He said, every eye will see Him. Think about that. When the Lord Jesus comes, every eye will be upon Him. Can you imagine? Look, I have never laid eyes on Jesus, the Son of God. Have you? Never have. We preach about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We give God thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember His death every first day of the week. And yet Paul said, let me tell you what, there is coming a day in which Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And as John said, every eye shall see Him. Are you ready for that day? Paul was. How do I know that? Because Paul said that we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you live in anticipation of the coming of the Son of God? You know, the, the apostles, they would say, come Lord Jesus. They were ready for Him to come. Paul said, we eagerly wait for His return. We're ready for Him to come. That's confidence, isn't it? So we talk about our confidence in the Lord and our coming Lord. He's coming to get us one day, isn't He? And taking home to be with Him forevermore. And then, there's a third thing I want you to consider in our study. And it has to do with the future of a Christian. Those of us who belong to the family of God, we have a bright, bright, bright future, don't we? I don't know what this world has. I don't know what lies ahead for me in this life. Do you? We make plans. We anticipate certain things. Sometimes we forecast. We hope certain things will come to pass. We anticipate. But when it's all said and done, we really don't know what the future holds, do we? For good, for bad, whether it be joy, sorrow, we just don't know whether we're going to be victorious in some conquest or whether or not we will fail. 
But whatever happens in this life, there's one thing that's certain. That which lies beyond this world, this veil of tears, is a bright future for every child of God. We've got a bright future ahead of us. So what about the future that we have? Well, first of all, Paul speaks of a transformation. There is the promise of a transformation. Listen to what Paul said. Go back again and look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body. Some translations say our vile body. That it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. What Paul is saying is, when the Lord Jesus comes, He is coming and the dead will be raised. And the body that we possess, whether we're living or whether we've been in the tomb for years, the body is going to be transformed. The body that you possess today will not be the same body that resides in heaven. Didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, He said, The dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. Now think about that for a minute. The dead are going to be raised incorruptible, and Paul said, We're going to be changed. This mortal body will become an immortal body. This corruptible body will become an incorruptible body. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. This mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible body must put on incorruption. And then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now you think about the transformation, but I want you to see, secondly, the confirmation. Now, Paul said that the Lord's going to transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Paul said that we shall be like Him when the Lord Jesus comes. We'll be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Somebody says, well, what, what's my body going to look like? What's it going to feel like? I don't know. I can't answer that. I just know that whatever body the Lord Jesus possesses, an incorruptible body, an immortal body, that's the body that we will have. It'll be just like the Lord's. That's what John said in 1 John 3, verse 2. And Paul said that when the Lord comes, He's going to transform our body. So what about our body? What about the promise that occurs at the transformation. Listen to the confirmation about this body that we're going to possess. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, here's what John said. The body that we possess in heaven, first and foremost, is going to be free from death. Does that appeal to you? John said, and there shall be no more death. Now look. 
The world in which we live is marked by beginnings and endings. And we have any number of funeral homes in this city and in the Mid-South area to accommodate people who are losing loved ones. Happens every day, doesn't it? And yet, and yet what John said in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 is, there's coming a day when there will never be need again for a cemetery. You're not going to stand by the side of an open grave and say goodbye to somebody you love. It's not going to happen. Why? Because death will be no more. This body will be free from death, and not only will it be free from death, it will be free from disease. Now think about that for a minute. Somebody, I heard not long ago, quite some time actually, ago, said that when they turned 65, the question was asked, what is the most profound lesson you have learned in life to date? This person responded by saying, the brevity of life. As we grow older in life, what happens? Sometimes our bodies begin to deteriorate. We face illness and disease. We have any number of health problems. And yet, John in the Revelation said, there shall be no more pain. No more sorrows, no more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Let me tell you what, the world where we're headed is disease-free. It is death-free. Now I want to ask you, why would anyone not want to go to heaven? Doesn't make sense to me, does it you? Isn't that why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Because that's where it's at. Now, we talk about this great confirmation. There's a transformation, there is a confirmation. And what I want us to understand is, as God's people, we've got a better citizenship. It's called a heavenly citizenship. And the beauty of being a child of God, according to the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12, is that our names have been registered in heaven. Paul talks about those whose names are written in the book of life. Is your name in the book of life? If your name is in the book of life, then guess what? You've got waiting on you a home in heaven, don't you? So today as we close, I want to ask you this question. Where is your citizenship? Now, I understand you may have a citizenship here. But what I really want to know is, do you have a citizenship there? Do you have a home in heaven waiting on you? If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I hope and pray that you will give consideration to making your life right with God. How do you do that? Well, first, to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God, John 8, 24. You remember Jesus said, unless you believe that I'm He, He said, you'll die in your sins. And He said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. So we don't want to miss heaven, do we? So we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins just like they did on Pentecost Day. 
we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that He's the Son of God, and then we're baptized into Christ so that all of our sins are washed away. Acts 22, 16. The Lord then puts us in the church. And the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the church, Ephesians 5, 23. Then we live faithfully, knowing that when the Lord comes, He will give us that crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. If you're here today and maybe as a child of God, your life's not what it ought to be, you need to be, you need to be back in fellowship with God and His people. Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?